Why did I come to Al-Anon when I did? Or, to ask it a different way, why didn't I come sooner? And what made me ready? Welcome to episode 189 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Michelle, Nicole, Scott, and Penelope. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Michelle, Nicole, Scott, and Penelope, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Today's show was inspired by the reading from Courage to Change, February 5th. When the student is ready, the teacher appears, say the Zen Buddhists, or, as an Al-Anon speaker put it, we each get here right on time. To me, this is an important reason to have a public relations policy based on attraction rather than promotion, as the 11th tradition suggests. My own arrival in Al-Anon was right on schedule. I first heard about the program when I was a teenager. I attended my first meeting 20 years later. I don't regret that lapse of time because I don't think I would have been ready to come to Al-Anon any sooner. I spent those 20 years resenting any implication from well-meaning family members that I had been affected by alcoholism. Only after many years of living with the effects of the disease did I really become ready to get help. No amount of nagging would have hurried me along any faster. And the reminder from the reading, There is no magic wand that can make others ready for Al-Anon, and it is presumptuous to assume that I have a better idea of their true path than they do. Let me help those who want help. When my life improves as a result of working the program myself, I do more to carry the message than I ever could by forcing it on others. In a quote from The Dilemma of the Alcoholic Marriage, Let me not dilute the effectiveness of the help I can give by letting it take the form of giving advice. I know I will never have enough insight into another's life to tell that person what is best to do. And although the focus of the reading is on maybe not dragging other people into Al-Anon against their will, when I read it, it just reminded me of the resistance that I had to coming into Al-Anon, whatever it was that that kept me from, from coming the first time that I heard about it. And then, you know, what was it that made me ready? And a little bit about what I found here, I think, as a result. The big question that I asked at the beginning why did I come to Al-Anon when I did, and why didn't I come sooner? I want to start with sort of looking at that second question, why didn't I come sooner, because that kind of came before actually coming. And I think there's a number of factors. I didn't understand alcoholism. I had this image in my head that I think is common in our society of an alcoholic as a bum with a 40-ouncer in a bag, you know, sitting on the sidewalk or under a bridge abutment somewhere. That clearly couldn't apply to our family. That was that was not what was going on in my house. Yeah, my loved one drank too much, but she wasn't an alcoholic. I didn't grow up, as far as I know, with any alcoholism. I believe there is some in my family going back because I have relatives on one side of the family that are, by their own admission, alcoholics. But I didn't see it, I didn't understand it, and I had no personal experience with it. The people that I knew in my family who drank seemed to drink responsibly, 
have some wine with dinner, maybe a cocktail, and, and that would be it. So when my loved one started drinking too much, I really thought it was a choice that she just had to fix it. And I didn't see the effect that it was having on me, which leads me to the second factor, which is denying the problem, which goes along also with not seeing the problem, I guess. I did not want to think that my loved one was out of control. You know, I was fine. I was just F-I-N-E, fine. I, I didn't have problems. She had a problem. She had to fix her problem. I thought everything would be great again if she could just learn to drink normally. So there, there isn't a problem here, really. I mean, okay, she drinks too much, but you know, we just, she just needs to fix it. And on my side, I didn't, I didn't see my problem, my problems, I'm sure. I guess it's sort of the same thing as denial, but I really didn't see that my behavior was out of control. I, I did not understand that my ragefulness was really a symptom of this family disease of alcoholism. Every time I would get angry and yell at people, scream at my kids, I thought it was a one-time thing. I didn't see a pattern. And I didn't, really didn't connect it to the other things that were going on around me. I just, you know, I have a temper, quotes. I have a temper. The third, fourth factor on my list here, resistance. I had first heard of Al-Anon probably in the first time my wife was in treatment in an intensive outpatient program. I went to Friends and Family Day, and one of those days they focused on codependency, the involvement of the whole family, and they suggested that those of us who were there as supports might want to go to Al-Anon. They might have said more than that. I, I really don't know. I hope they did. But if they did, I wasn't hearing it. I don't remember it. All I remember is this one suggestion. You should go to Al-Anon. I was like, uh, you know, excuse me here. Not my problem. Right? Not my problem. I don't need a 12-step program. I don't want a 12-step program. I've looked at those 12 steps. It looks like a cult to me. I am not going there. Maybe she needs to go there, but not me. No siree, Bob. Uh-uh. And I sat there. I sat in that attitude for, for quite a while. Again, I am F-I-N-E fine, effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. But of course, I didn't know that definition at the time. I was just fine. I remember watching a video about codependency, and I got the impression somehow it was based on the, the book Codependent No More. Maybe maybe uh, Marjorie Beatty was actually in the video. I'm not sure. But I totally did not relate to that video. I didn't connect to the person or people in it. I didn't understand from that, I, I had really did not get any better understanding of what codependency was, but I sure as heck didn't think it was anything that applied to me. So again, I don't need help. I'm fine. Go away. Stop bothering me. My wife needs to fix herself. That's it. End of discussion. Gone. I think part of that resistance was also a deep feeling of shame, a feeling of failure that because I couldn't get my wife to stop drinking or to drink normally, I was a failure. I felt the the stigma that our society puts on alcoholism and alcoholics, even though I wasn't yet applying that word to her. The behavior made me embarrassed. I didn't want to be with her when she was drinking. I didn't want anybody to know about it. I sure as heck wasn't going to go sit in a room full of strangers and, and talk about it. No, not happening. Just not happening. 
I certainly was not ready in many, many ways. I was not ready to come to Al-Anon before I actually did. When I say it that way, it sounds like, well, that's, that's obvious. I mean, why would you come before you were ready? I don't know. I see people in the rooms who have court sheets to sign. I see people in the rooms who are there because the treatment center where their loved one was at told them if they wanted to be involved in their loved one's treatment, they needed to go to Al-Anon. I don't know why I'm here except that the, the treatment center told me I needed to come. It didn't happen to me. Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. So what happened? What happened was I was again sitting in Friends and Family Day in a session about the family disease, probably about codependency. What I heard that day, what I heard that day, was something I might have heard before, although I sure don't remember it. Again, that denial. They said I didn't cause it, I couldn't control it, and I couldn't cure it. And somehow I believed them. I felt that deep in my heart, and I felt this relief that my failure was not my failure, because it was something that I could not do. That's what they told me. These professionals, they they knew what they were talking about, I guess. And so I became I became a little bit ready. And there were a couple other factors, I think, that, that led to that or enhanced that moment of clarity. One of them was, was talking to my wife as we were sitting waiting to talk to the therapist and her expressing fear that she would not be able to live sober. And that, that struck fear into me because I was starting to see, really understand the unmanageability of my life. I didn't know if I could keep on going if she kept on drinking. So we're heading for a bottom here. I picked up a little flyer. It's got 20 questions on it. I'll stick a link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 189. It has 20 questions, and I answered yes to 16 of them. I answered maybe to one of them and no to three of them. And at the bottom it says, if you answered yes to any of the questions above, you may benefit from Al-Anon. Hmm. Hmm. 16 is a little bit more than one, isn't it? That, I think, helped me to to see the size of my problem and helped to get me ready for something else. And so there I was. I couldn't fix it. I was scared to death it was going to continue. And I have a problem. I have a lot of problems. What can I do? And I thought, well, I don't know what else to do. So maybe let's let's check out this Al-Anon thing. Let's see what it's like, see what it's about. Maybe it'll help. Who knows? And I think I had some idea also that Al-Anon might teach me to help support her in her recovery, something like that. I, that that's a lot vaguer in my memory, but I think there was a little bit of that too. So I thought, okay, I need to go to a meeting. I need to figure this thing out. I need to find out about this Al-Anon thing. So I called a friend. I'm driving 70 miles an hour back home from the treatment center on the highway, and I called a friend who I knew was in AA. And I asked him if he knew anything about Al-Anon. And he said, yeah. He said, there's a great meeting. It's right near my house. It's tonight. Would you like me to take you over and introduce you to some people? And of course, my, my resistance flared up one last time, and I said, I'll have to think about it. And I thought about it for, I don't know, 30 seconds. And I called him back and said, yes, please. So I went to my first Al-Anon meeting that night, and I found that I was not alone. I found acceptance, and I felt a little better. So I, I did come to Al-Anon when I was ready. I sometimes wonder 
what would have happened had I found Al-Anon sooner? Would there have been less misery? Would it have helped my wife get to sobriety any sooner? I, I really don't think so, because it took her another three and a half years after I came to Al-Anon to, to find her own way to sobriety. So I kind of don't think that me coming to Al-Anon had a whole lot to do with it. I did at the beginning. I remember talking to newcomers after I'd been in the program a whole six months. Hey, I'm a veteran here, six months. And talking about the miracle that happened. And I'm pretty sure I put a little bit of, you know, I let go and then she had to find her own way and now she's sober and everything's wonderful. And then she relapsed and I found out why I was really here. Because when she relapsed, I went down with her. And I didn't go down as far and I didn't go down as hard. Because I had program, because I had tools, because I had meetings, because I had friends, I had a sponsor, I had literature. And I didn't have to, I didn't have to go down with her as far as, as she went. I think that was really the, the, when I realized the power of this program of recovery. I know I didn't come too late. And I know I didn't come too late because I came into the program at a point where I just, did not see how I could keep on living the way we were living. I could not keep on living with that chaos in my house. I just didn't see how that can happen. And I also did not want to separate from my wife. And so I felt torn. I felt, as they say, on the horns of a dilemma. What I found here in this program was tools. Tools to live with the chaos. Tools to find serenity in the chaos, tools that I could start to, to live and thrive and not be torn up by her chaos, by her pain. Tools that let me be with her while she continued her downward path. Tools that let me be with her when she found her bottom, when she found her own moment of clarity and found sobriety. And now tools that are helping me to reconstruct a marriage that is now 32 and a half years strong. I think probably stronger than it ever was. So I came in time. I came when I was ready, so I guess I came on time. Just as as the reading says, my own arrival in Al-Anon was right on schedule. And I guess so. Only after many years of living with the effects of disease did I become ready to get help. No amount of nagging would have hurried me along any faster. And I think about this when I look at the people around me, the people who I love, who I think could really benefit from this program of recovery. I look at my daughter who, I look at my daughter whose life has been profoundly affected by her mother's alcoholism. And I wish for her what I found. I look at, at the way that she is codependent. I look at the way that she reacts to things in her life that I believe that codependency and those reactions come from growing up in an alcoholic home. And I wish for her this sort of recovery. But I know, I know from, from hard experience that she's not going to come until she's ready. Yeah, she first heard about the program when she was a teenager. And, and I hope it doesn't take her 20 years to, to find relief from the effects. But she has to find it on her own. She has to find it on her schedule. And all I can do is be there, be a support, be an example. And when she asks, say, you know, Elanon's here. And when she says, I'm not ready for it, to shut my mouth. I look at my wife, who certainly 
has many friends and relatives who are struggle with this disease or struggle with alcoholic, potentially alcoholic drinking. And I think she could really benefit from some Al-Anon. But she's not here. She's not ready. Maybe she never will be. Maybe she doesn't really need it. However much I think she might. And so this program reminds me that all I can do, and this is also you know the promise of the program, all I can do is change myself with the help of my higher power. I can't do it on my own. I know I can't do it on my own because God knows I tried. But with the help of my higher power, I can change myself. I can continue to love the people around me without needing. And I say that word needing because there were times when it really felt like I needed to change the people around me. I needed for them to change so I could be okay. And that's not true anymore. I can be okay. I can be okay. Whatever however my loved ones are. And that that is a gift. That is a gift of coming here and the gift of letting them be who they are and letting me be who I am. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. So during the week... One of my coworkers was pushing me to do a task that is now part of my job description. And there was some a little bit of reorganization in, in my team at work, and I now have some additional responsibilities that I was not mm, looking forward to. But my team member was was pushing me to, to do this, which is it was important task. And you know, the program has taught me I think of the slogan first things first. And this became a first thing, and I just had to do it. And hey, once I got into it, wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. And, and we actually made some significant progress. And then I got kudos, and that was cool. So a little bit, little bit of recovery work there, I think I would have resisted a lot harder and, and probably not gone into it as willingly. My Saturday meeting, first Saturday of the month, I sit at the the table that is working our way slowly through Blueprint for Progress. And we're in the values section. We talked about how are we agreeable or disagreeable and how are we cheerful or depressed. And there was some interesting observations about arguing. One of the questions under agreeable versus disagreeable was, do I avoid arguing just for the sake of arguing? You know, I used to, I used to do that to some extent with people I felt comfortable with because I am conflict avoidant. But I could, you know, be devil's advocate just so we can have some discussion going or it was kind of fun. I remember having a friend in grad school that we would get into these very loud, contentious discussions about things that we actually agreed on. And another person in our in our group dubbed it agreeing loudly, which I always thought was kind of a funny phrase. But I don't have to do that so much anymore. At least I can I can get along. I don't have to just, it's, it's not so much, it's not so much fun, I guess that maybe that's the point. I don't know, but I still do it somewhat. A little bit of self-examination. Uh, and the, uh, a lot of the discussion in the, the second set of questions centered around this quote from Abraham Lincoln that most people are as happy as they want to be as they something, I forget the exact quote now. It's, it's on the just for today bookmark that you may find in some Eleanor meetings as happy as they make up their minds to be. And I talked about my 
understanding that I came to in recovery about the word attitude, because a friend of mine in, in my home group used to say, I only have control over my actions and my attitudes. And I thought, well, how do you have control over your attitudes? I mean, that's like feelings, isn't it? And then I heard in, uh, I think it was an AA speaker talk, the speaker said, you know, I, I learned this definition of attitude, which is angle of approach, apparently a, a term from aviation. If I think about being able to change my angle of approach, that I can do. And that really is my attitude. Do I view events and people from a place of darkness or a place of lightness, for example, from an attitude of gratitude, right? I can, I can cultivate a different angle of approach. I can cultivate a different attitude. And so then I can be, as Abraham Lincoln said, as happy as I make up my mind to be. So a lot of good stuff in, in, at that table. The night before we had the second, maybe annual open panel on the effects of alcoholism and addiction on intimacy and sexual relations, which I was a speaker at last year. I published three of the, the speakers along with the episode titled Intimacy that I will put a link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 189. If you want to hear last year's talks, the speakers this, this year did not want to be recorded, but there was a real, real assortment of, you know, as you might expect, four different people, four different perspectives, a lot of openness, really, really amazing openness about a topic that, at least in my experience, does not come up very often or ever in my meetings. And it's a really important topic, and I was really glad that that four people had the courage and the and the openness and the vulnerability to get up there and, and talk about a really scary subject. My wife came with me, which was pretty awesome. Afterwards, went out with some program friends because one of them was celebrating a birthday. And this included a couple of people that I haven't seen in quite a while, so it was nice to reconnect and have have some program talk with friends where we, we actually could go back and forth. I, I really, really value the format of the meetings that I go to with no crosstalk where everybody shares once from their own experience and, and we don't argue, we don't discuss, we don't question. But there also for me is a lot of value in, in having a back and forth conversation about some of these topics as well. In fact, one of the topics that came up was, what is crosstalk? And there were some very different opinions around the table. One person said, I really am not comfortable when people agree verbally during somebody else's share, even if it's just a sort of, hmm, or yeah, or been there. Made this one person really uncomfortable when that happens. I had to look at myself because I do that sometimes. So it's, it's good to hear that sort of thing. It's good to have that discussion. And it was good to just be with friends. And be with friends that we we can be, I can be totally open with as well. So yeah, my weekend recovery. One of the people who spoke at the panel also spoke of their experience in Alateen as a teenager, obviously. And afterwards I went and talked to them and said, hey, would you like to be on my podcast? We could talk about your experience in Alateen. And, and I got a positive response. And so I'm definitely following up on that one as well. So now I have a couple of Potential Alateen topics coming up, one for Alateen sponsors and, and one for somebody who'd been a member. Find out how that program benefited them. But we also want to talk about slogans. We want to talk about a lot of stuff. 
And if you want to join your voice, maybe you want to talk about your Alateen experience, you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer, or you can send email to feedback at com. All of this information, if you, if you can only remember one thing, remember therecovery.show slash contact, because all the information is right there, including some other ideas about how to participate, how to add your voice to our conversation, how to join our community. So please do. We'd love to hear from you. Questions, topic suggestions, or maybe your Alateen story. And you can find all the information about the show at our website, which is therecovery.show. And that's a new location. The old location, therecoveryshow.com, still works. I don't intend to ever get rid of it. But therecovery.show is a little shorter and maybe a little easier to type, a little easier to remember. Who knows? Anyway, I picked it up. I'm going to start using it. And speaking of joining the conversation, we got several emails this week. We got a few about episode number 187, which was an open talk by Steve L. on Fear, Faith, and Surrender. I think that was the order. Stephanie writes, I was listening to episode 187 and was very moved by the talk given by Steve L. You happen to know if there are any other talks by him available and how I might access them. Thank you so much for your wonderful program. And I responded directly to Stephanie, and I'll also say it here, what I, what I told her. I said, I got this talk from a website called Recovery Radio Network, which also puts these talks out as a, in a daily podcast format. And when I search that site for Steve L., I find a few talks by people with that name. But without actually listening to them all, I can't tell if they're all the same person or if they're different Steve L.'s. The, the original talk was an AA talk. I found a Steve L. Alanon talk, maybe the same Steve, maybe not the same Steve. And I found some other talks by, by Steve L. So I'll put a link to that search for Steve L. So you can go find them yourself if you want to. Kim writes, I just finished listening to Steve talk about fear and surrender on episode 187. That was incredible. And I know I will listen again. I loved how he talks about faith and fear and surrender with humility and humor. I also love hearing from the perspective of someone in AA and the ways they are working on recovery one day at a time, and again with humor, humility, and honesty. Thank you so much. That was excellent. Thanks again, Kim. And Rachel also enjoyed that episode. Hey, Spencer, thanks for sharing Steve L's story with us last week. His delivery had me rolling at times, and he really made me think about how we addicts to either substances, people, or ideas tend to be willing to try almost anything to feel better or fix something. But when it comes to surrendering to a higher power, quotes, bullshit. I loved what he and you had to say about surrendering to the solution rather than the problem. The whole speech was great, but that really stuck out to me. One topic that Steed made me think of is obsession. In addition to obsessing over others' behavior, I tend to have obsessive thoughts and ideas that I struggle to control. Learning how to let go of our obsessions is part of step one, and I suppose two and three and maybe even four. Yes. I'm not sure that I've heard it covered specifically in previous episodes, but I would love to hear a discussion on obsession in a future show. Thanks for all you do, Rachel. Wow, yeah, great topic idea, obsession. Uh, I can totally connect with that, uh, my obsession, my addiction to other people. And I'm reminded that 
In the open talks on Friday, one of the speakers started out by saying, Hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an addict. I'm addicted to people. I'm addicted to alcoholics and addicts. And anybody with a hot mess, I'm, I'm coming for you. And I was like, yeah, that's a great description of many of us in Illinois. Joanna writes, thank you for posting the AA open meeting talk. It was very helpful to me. It was a good reminder that as I acknowledge my powerlessness over my obsession, then God is free to do his work. I'm grateful for the aha moment of the absolute freedom of surrender. God does not expect me to fix this. He expects me to depend on him. He is helping me understand I need help, and he is providing the help for me as I go along. My obsession and depression has been lifted for today. Tomorrow, I will trust God again and be thankful that he is capable of keeping me sane and bringing joy to my life and making this journey meaningful as long as I bring this same gift to others. God bless you, Spencer. Joanna. And God bless you too, Joanna. And may we all find the loving support of our of our own higher power to, and as you say, lift my obsession and depression for today and tomorrow. Thanks. Nicole writes, Dear Spencer and Tom, Thank you for your heartfelt shares in the Detachment with Love episode. That was episode 188. And just as a reminder, you can find any episode if you know the number. Just go to therecovery.show slash the number. So therecovery.show slash 188, for example. Continuing with Nicole's letter. I especially appreciated Tom sharing how he practiced detachment with love with his qualifier, who struggled with the way the butter was cut in the butter dish. I live with active alcoholism and frequently experience this kind of manifestation of restless, irritable, and discontent. I know the butter dish scenario all too well, and it made me laugh out loud with relief to hear Tom share. In all seriousness, I'm not always able to detach with love, and I appreciate the grace in Tom's description of how he handled it. It inspires me to keep practicing so that I might detach with love rather than detach with indifference in my own home. This show is a huge help to my program, especially this winter when weather conditions have prevented me from getting to meetings as often as I regularly do. You are all a blessing in my life. With gratitude, Nicole. And and thanks for, for that, Nicole. And I showed that letter to Tom, and he was like, wow. Michelle writes, I just found your podcast today and selected episode 188. I'm a parent with an adult child addict, age 23, who lives at home. He did leave home after high school for college, but returned because of the substance abuse. Although my husband and I have tried several different approaches in an effort to help him, I know now our approaches are wrong and we are enabling him. You mentioned dedicating time to detachment in parents, of which I'd be ever so grateful. I'm trying to learn as much as possible about addiction in an effort to understand, thinking I can help him, but rather acknowledge I've learned I'm codependent. I would like to learn more about how I can stay healthy, detached in a healthy and loving way without enabling him, healthy for us both, and without me feeling crushed in the process. Any information would be greatly appreciated, and thank you for taking the time to share and create your podcast for others, Michelle. The first thing I'm going to say, Michelle, uh, is keep coming to meetings, or if you haven't been to a meeting, do find one. We consciously do not give advice in our recovery program because we understand that what worked for us might not work for you, but we do happily share what did work for us when asked. The only way I learned detachment, the only way I learned how to support my loved one without enabling my loved ones, I should say, because I've, I've used this, I've used this, these tools in other situations besides the one that brought me to Al-Anon in the first place. The only way I learned that was by coming to meetings, by reading the literature, by working the steps and seeing where my motivations are uh, and seeing where 
I can change so that I can better be with the people in my life who are struggling without trying to control them, without trying to run their lives, without trying to fix them. Because as I've discovered, that really doesn't work for me. Uh, Keep coming to meetings, um, and you will find their answers. You will find their solutions people have found that you can take and try. Maybe they'll work for you. And, And the ones that don't, as we say, take what you like and leave the rest. Although we don't emphasize that here, there is professional help available. There are uh, addiction counselors, addiction support therapists that can can help you understand what you really can and can't do. Although, from what I hear from friends who have, have consulted addiction therapists, their answer is often, you should go to an Al-Anon meeting. We've got a lot of material on the website. There's a lot of podcasts, obviously. We're at 189 now. And if you go to the website at therecovery.show, on your computer, there's a search box. If you're on a phone or maybe a tablet, if you tap on the menu, you'll find a search button that will take you to a page where you can search, type in a word like detachment or enabling, and you will find a number of episodes in which we have talked about that topic and maybe find some more help, some more tools you can try there. And we'll keep coming back. Yes, we will. And regarding the parenting episode, again, I'm reaching out uh, for your experience as a parent of an addict, a parent of an alcoholic, to share share with the rest of us, to uh, to share your experience, strength, and hope. Use therecovery.show slash contact to send your story. Dear Spencer, I look forward to your show every week and always hear something that helps me. I especially enjoyed the podcast about expectations that you and Eric did a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't been aware of how much I needed to work on that issue, and I listened to it three times. Thank you so much for providing the Recovery Show podcast. I have two good Al-Anon groups in my town, but your show is there between meetings whenever I need it. I've recommended it to my Al-Anon friends. Sincerely, Penelope. Thank you, Penelope. Eric and I had fun doing that show. I know we did. And thank you also for supporting the show this week. I have an iTunes review titled, Great Show. I drive 40 plus hours a week and then come home to a little one. Both of these make it hard for me to make as many meetings as I'd like. I've spent the last two weeks burning through your podcasts on the road and at home. They've made a real difference for me. Thank you all for being out on the airwaves. Thank you for that review. iTunes reviews and ratings help to make us easier to find by those who are in need and seeking recovery. So thank you. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly just like Michelle, Nicole, Scott, and Penelope did. We've also put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support, in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening to us. We are here for you. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. Understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time.